Radio Drone. All right, it's episode 74 of Radio Drone. We're coming upon that big 75, and we should have something special for you. But for now, I've got my friends, Mike White from the Projection Booth. Hello. And his sounding weird. And Alex Jowski from Geek Juice making noise back there because he just can't sit still. Hello. <laughs> because uh, Brad's not going to be available this week, and Brian is not available this week, so I had to call in the backups. Bottom of the barrel. Uh, I wouldn't quite go that far, but backups nonetheless. <laughs> Alex might be bottom of the barrel, but Mike, you're top notch. Uh, I will be the pip to your Gladys Knight. All right, before we get too much into this, Adam and Eve promo time. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, and you get 50% off of a single item. You get three free DVDs, you get free shipping in the United States, and you also get a free mystery gift that's so mysterious, I don't know what it is. Mike even has Adam and Eve as his sponsor, and he doesn't know what the mystery gift is. It's just that mysterious. So before we get into our topic tonight, which is going to be animated movies, I wanted to ask, you guys have both seen Kung Fu and Kung Fu The Legend Continues, the old TV shows, right? I don't know if I've ever seen The Legend Continues. That was one. Was Brandon Lee in that? No. And that yeah. actually is going to actually seg into my point here. No, that was David Carradine again and uh, Chris Potter. But for sure, I saw the original. I was I pretty much grew up on that. I used to roll out a big piece of paper across the basement floor and try to walk across it without leaving any kind of marks on it. At least you didn't try and get the uh, the, the the tiger burns from the giant pot like Kwai Chang did. Right. How about you, Jowski? Music would swell. How about you, Jowski? You familiar with the either of those shows? I'm familiar through it because I believe that was advertised on TNT all the time when I'd watched that years ago. Yeah, TNT. Uh, it was first run syndication for Legend Continues, but TNT had all the reruns. I think they had the original show too. Yeah, because they would air all the the ads for it during Monster Vision. Well, here's the weird thing, and this segs into what Mike was talking about actually when he mistakenly said Brandon Lee. I bought a book from 1994 called The Unofficial Kung Fu Companion. And it, it was an episode guide of all the episodes of Kung Fu, the Kung Fu The Legend Continues, as well as a bunch of behind-the-scenes stories. Now, you'd think, funny me, that David Carradine would be on the cover, wouldn't you guys? I yeah. would think so. Nope. It's a press photo from Laser Mission of Brandon Lee on the cover. <laughs> nice. Very classy. And I'm like, okay... Brendan Lee, he had a minor role in Kung Fu the Movie, the reunion movie in the 90s, and he starred in the never-picked-up Kung Fu the Next Generation TV pilot that aired once in 1987. Yet he gets the cover of this. And it's not even a photo of him from either of the series that he was in. From Laser Mission, of all things. Right. But then think about what I said about the date from 1994. What significant event in Brandon Lee's life happened in 1994? Hmm. Well, I can give it a shot. Whoa! Hey! <laughs> that was terrible. But yeah, it was clearly using Brandon Lee's death to try and sell this book. And I was just like, God, that's terrible. But it's 50 cents, so I'll pick it up. So I just thought that was kind of weird that the Kung Fu book had Brandon Lee on the cover when... He only had two minor roles in the 100-plus episodes of those two shows. That is interesting. It is funny, yes. Well, At least it wasn't Jake Black as Kung Fu Panda. Well, there's that, but it was also yeah. printed before 
when was Never Ending Story three? Because Jack Black starred; he was the villain in Never Ending Story three. <laughs> Whenever anybody brings up the Never Ending Story, I always think of Lionel Hutz's uh, lawsuit against the makers of that film. <laughs> I don't For remember false what... advertising. Because there should be a sequel every damn day, because it's the never-ending story. Exactly. You should just buy one ticket, and you'd still be in the movie theater right now. Hey, maybe it's a magic ticket like Last Action Hero. Oh, don't even bring up that movie to me. I, I can't stand Last Action Hero. That <laughs> I, I, I did not understand when you and Justin did that episode, and he was so gung-ho for it. I, I didn't get it. Yeah, no comment. I was gung-ho for it when it came out, but I was 13 at that time. <laughs> and you hadn't seen it yet. Yes, there was that. <laughs> so, tonight's topic is going to be animated movies. Now, for the sake of brevity, I'd like to, as much as possible, leave anime out of this, because otherwise we're going to be here all day talking about anime movies. There's only one anime movie I'm going to bring up, and that's going to be Akira, and that's just because... It was a pretty landmark anime movie, even for American cinemas. What do you guys see as the how animated movies have changed for American animation from going back to the Disney era through the Pixar era today, which is still technically Disney, but you know what I mean? Well, first and foremost would be the greater use of computer-generated animation versus hand-drawn cells. And as well as, um, if you look at the Disney cartoons from way back, there's nothing for the adults. There's no none of those knowing wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of jokes that you get nowadays. It's become more meta or less serious, I guess, is what Alex's point. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that we've had that kind of stuff, the meta stuff, for quite a few decades. I don't know. I'm trying to think of... Um, uh, a feature animated thing that would, I know that for sure, going back and watching Rocky and Bullwinkle, you get a whole lot of subtext that I never got as a kid. But yeah, it definitely has gone through quite a few phases. I mean, it's such a painstaking medium that it's, or at least it was back in the day, that it was uh, definitely something that not everybody could pursue. And But I like that it kind of you know, it, I won't say that it started off as a kid's medium because there were, you know, Betty Boop had a lot of different things going on, Popeye, all those kind of things. But, yeah, you did get the kind of Disney factor in there, which kind of tainted everything. But then, you know, you get to the late or the early 70s and you get Ralph Bakshi and, you know, Fritz the Cat and that kind of changed, you know, there was definitely a different camp than Walt Disney, you know, in those days. I was I was going to bring up Fritz the Cat later when I when I was going to talk about animation going adult, but since you brought that up, we'll use that as a segue. You you had you had this new style come out in the seventies. I mean, Disney pretty much owned animated f- films up until the early seventies, and they were all more or less kid oriented. I would say. I mean, obviously. When I look at Fantasia and I look at the Night on Bald Mountain segment, that's not <laughs> that, that is not kid oriented to me. But on the same token, you know, you've got the the Mickey fighting his broom. That kind of is. When I was a kid, I went to go see Fantasia. Uh, sorry, uh, let me just break in for a second. I went to go see Fantasia. I'm, I'm 
was always, I guess, something of a cinephile because I'm I'm there at the show. You know, it was so rare for them to bring back movies to the theater, and this was some, you know, 40th whatever, however many year anniversary, and I'm there, and I'm, I'm maybe 10 years old, and there's a kid behind me who's maybe eight or something, and throughout the whole film, he's just like, "Where's Mickey? Where's when's Mickey gonna get here?" And I was just like, I want to be like, "Dude, shut the." F- up you know <laughs> i was so mad there i am this little 10 year old kid i'm just like can't you appreciate the medium for what it is <laughs> see I, I never saw fantasia in a theater that was always something that i either saw on cable or on video but night on bald mountain still holds up as pretty damn impressive and creepy when you really think about oh, yeah. that you have the little harpies breasts which i think is probably the first time i ever saw animated nipples and they were on creepy harpies <laughs> well, but then you've got like Ralph Bakshi when he came in with Fritz the Cat. That that was not only the first adult cartoon. I mean, strictly adult cartoon. He just said, "Screw it, we're going hard X." This was a hard X cartoon, and it it did kind of lose its luster. If you watch it today, it is so abysmally dated. <laughs> But at the same time, I still find it kind of funny that all the police officers are pigs, literal pigs. And just seeing cats screw like people in a hot tub while smoking joints, it's got a weird appeal to it, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Speaking of, here, I'll give you another story. Went to go see Fritz the Cat. Well, my folks went to go see Fritz the Cat, and I was with them, and they were refused admittance to the drive-in. I was only like three months old at the time, but they would not sell them tickets because there was a minor in the car. I was like sitting in the back seat asleep. You know, I was, you know, really three months old, you know, bottle, diapers, the whole deal. But they were refused admittance because I was in the car with them. So good stuff. (laughs) That's a little weirdly stringent. They didn't stop my mom from taking me to see Alien when I was four. I had no problem. Well... The only movie I ever was refused admittance to otherwise was Blade Runner, but then my mom was with me, so once she was done parking the car, she came up, bought the tickets, and in we went. So I wasn't refused admittance, but they refused to let my brother and I, and keep in mind, I was 12 at this time when my brother was 8, to go see RoboCop because it was rated oh, R. My mom, who was not seeing the movie with us, had to buy our tickets, walk us to our seats, and then be there right when the movie was getting out or the usher was going to call the police. That's the only way they'd let us see RoboCop, because we were 12 and 8, respectively. It's like, it's RoboCop. Yeah, the only one that I had to get refused admittance for, I think, was Halloween 6. That really bad Curse of Michael Myers one. That was probably a blessing in disguise. Yeah, they were just trying to keep you from being pained. Yeah, they just didn't want to show you the movie because it sucked. <laughs> Still didn't stop us from getting my friend's mom to buy the tickets. <laughs> well, see, I would have loved to have been old enough in the, the porno chic era to have tried to sneak into, like, Deep Throat or something like that, even though we're way off topic. I would have loved to have done that, but unfortunately by the time I was old enough to go, ooh, boobies, that era was already gone. You also had Ralph Bakshi, not just the hardcore stuff that he did for Fritz the Cat, you also had his real adult stuff like Heavy Traffic and Coonskin, and even Wizards, which 
Wizards on the surface seems kid-friendly, but it really isn't when you get down to the themes and in a lot of the language and the style it's done in. Would you would you guys agree with that? Or I mean, I'm assuming you've both seen Wizards. It's been a long time, but yeah. I was more familiar with The Lord of the Rings, his adaptation of that. See, th- that one I didn't like because he butchered, butchered <laughs> that book. Well, when oh. you try to take those books and squeeze it into one movie... I mean, you're not going to be too lucky unless you just do, you know, I think a book, a movie, it really kind of is uh, what he should have been aiming at. But what you're going to do? Well, no, see, that wasn't so much my problem as because the movie was rotoscoped and I have no problem with rotoscoping. He only chose to rotoscope things you could also do in live action. So. The Balrog was a guy in a Halloween mask with fake wings on his arms, and they just animated over that, and it looked ridiculous. <laughs> so, you know, you had the I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ralph Bakshi's work, and I think I think everybody out there, especially if you're younger, you should see Coonskin. Do not listen to all the people that call it a racist film, because it's not pointing out the truth about what it was like to be a black man in the ghetto in the early 70s, that's not racism. That's called truth. And the only people who called it racist were black people that were no longer in the ghetto anymore. You guys got to remember, when black people saw that movie, the people who you know were, were ghetto people were like, yeah, tell it, brother! White guy finally gets it! And then you've got Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson protesting against the movie, calling it racist. So yeah, I'd say it probably wasn't racist then. Wouldn't you guys agree? Mm, I'd agree. Yeah. So then, okay, you've got the adult animation of Bakshi, but then you also had this weird shift to, what I guess, what I'd call sci-fi animation in the early 80s. Remember... Rock and Rule, and of course Heavy Metal, and Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin. Well, I remember watching them on video long after the fact, like when Heavy Metal... That's because you're a youngin'. Mike and I are old men. Like, I remember watching Heavy Metal when it first got its big VHS release. Oh god, that was 96. I I don't know about you, Mike, but I grew up watching that on Cinemax and on VHS bootlegs, didn't you? Oh yeah, well, you know, it was the only... uh animated boobies that I knew of for a long time, other than the harpies, of course, but these looked a lot better. Yeah. And, <laughs> and see, like, Doug Walker and that painted clown chick, whose name I can't remember... Diamond just, something or other. Yeah. They just did a review of Heavy Metal that really got me angry on the That Guy with the Glasses site. It was such a my god, you guys do not get this movie. And I'm not trying to sound arrogant by like, oh, they're making fun of a movie I like. Now I say they, you know, they can't not like it. I'm saying that movie was made for a totally different audience than you guys. The same as if the three of us tried to review Judy Moody and the Not Bummer Summer as film critics, that movie was not made for us. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, especially with that it's not his audience. Because if you look at the stuff Doug's reviewed and his nostalgia critic character, it's usually movies that him and his target audience experienced as children. I mean, that's the heavy metals, the only R one I think he's ever done. So he's trying to review it from the, I saw this as a kid level of nostalgia 
but it doesn't work with that particular movie. It's not the type of movie he's done before, but he's trying to approach it from the same angle. Well, and then you also have the fact that I'm not a stoner, but that's a stoner movie. Kevin Eastman, one of the co-creators of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and now current owner of the Heavy Metal franchise, has outright said that was a stoner date movie. You you got stoned and you took a date to that movie. If you got a second date after she sat through Heavy Metal in its original run, she was a keeper. <laughs> that's how you that's how you were able to tell whether you had a keeper. If she didn't if she stopped returning your calls after you took her to see Heavy Metal, then it wasn't meant to be. Well, yeah, that movie does have a specific audience, too, hence the title, Heavy Metal. It's kind of like, well, if you're really into Anthrax, you'll like this movie. But not really, because the soundtrack is pretty much all classic rock. I'm, I'm talking aside from the music, though. Well, yeah, but, the, the, are you talking, like, the aesthetic? Yes. Did either of you ever read the comics, the Heavy Metal comics, before or after you saw the movie? No. They were a little too, I don't know little too adultish or just something about them kind of put me off. I don't know really what it was, but I never really got into it. I've got an almost complete collection of heavy metal. Nice. And so that movie is still one of my favorite movies. I have an original poster of that hanging on my wall right now. I, I love I love that film. And, and yeah, it did kind of piss me off a little bit when they reviewed it the way they did because I love it so much, but they've done that to lots of other films I've liked. And it, for whatever reason, didn't enrage me the way they were making fun of this like it was supposed to be a Pixar film. <laughs> and it's like, guys, I'll reiterate this. You were not the target audience for heavy metal. At the same time, have you guys seen Rock and Rule? I have not. I have not. Title's familiar, but that's about it. It was by Navala Animation, the guys who would go on to do the Care Bears years later, but this is before they got all kid-friendly. Rock and Rule was, after World War III, all the animals mutate into people, and it's 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 got a couple of musicians that are, and an evil Mick Jagger-like rock star that's trying to bring a demon from another dimension, and it's all animated, and it's, it's got this weird hologram effect to a lot of the laser effects and things, and it's like, you have Debbie Harry and Lou Reed and Earth, Wind and & Fire and Iggy Pop and these people doing original songs and original voices in a dystopian sci-fi setting. And it was pretty damn cool. That thing also became a cult film. That made those rounds on TNT and TBS all the time. What is the first adult animated movie you saw? You don't mean adult as in triple X. You're just saying adult. Adult as in, as in meant for a mature audience. Oh, jeez. I'm trying to think of what it was. You know, when you first told me that this show was going to be about animation, the, I'll tell you the first thing that jumped in my mind was, uh, believe it or not, Secret of Nim. I know that wasn't necessarily made for adults, though, but it definitely. That was more mature, so I'll, I'll actually give you that one. Yeah, All I'll, right, I'll cool. give you that one because. That one is a very adult in the mature sense, and it's one of the first times I ever heard a uh, cartoon swear. I was going to say heavy metal when I saw that in 96, but now that Mike brings up Secret of Nim, when I was a kid, that cartoon scared me. Especially the Great Owl? Oh, yeah. When you're a young kid, the Great Owl, when he crushes that spider and turns his head around, that's just some creepy, creepy shit. 
Oh yeah, and just the way that he had all the the uh, spiderware cobwebs and everything all over him. I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it was and great. And voiced by John Carradine. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't hurt the creepy effect at all. Right. <laughs> we saw animation go from being a kids' medium to, I mean, they were still putting out kids' car kids' animated movies, obviously, but the adults had sort of taken over. And then somehow it swung back. Do you remember in the early 90s when almost every animated film was a kid's film, like Rover Dangerfield and stuff like that? It was Don Bluth and Disney. You had Disney and Don Bluth. Those were the two animations that you had big. Yeah, you had An American Tale, Land Land Before Time, Rover Dangerfield. Didn't you have something with a a rooster? Uh, Oh, God. R- R- Rockadoodle, that's it. I remember, yeah. all dogs go to heaven. Before I'd remember, oh yeah, all dogs go to heaven, and yeah, you you had those, and well, they did have mature themes, like especially all dogs go to heaven is kind of mature, dealing with the whole heaven and hell ideology. But at the same time, it was still very much a kids' cartoon. We're back, a dinosaur's tale. You had all these creepy, creepy moments with Doctor Screw Eyes. And then you've got Lisa Simpson as your hero. Literally, she did the Lisa Simpson voice. And you just kind of go, I, I don't get creeped out when Lisa Simpson's being threatened by Dr. Screw Eyes. <laughs> you, that's the other thing. Sometimes the voicing. I, I, I got nothing against Yeardley Smith. But she was not the right voice for that, for that character in We're Back. You know, she was not the correct voice for that. It's almost like stunt casting, where it's like, oh, and we have the voices of this person, this person, this person. It's like, who cares? You know, they might not be the best voice actor around. You know, let's let's actually go for people that are known for, well, not necessarily known for their voices, but that can do different voices, that can, you know, bring across a character without that visual element. You know, it's it's something of a. a you know, a lost art sometimes of people that can do so many different voices or bring that kind of emotion across without having to use their face. I mean, now they kind of cheat by having the the motion capture and basing all this stuff off of people's faces, you know, just kind of, I guess, kind of going back to that rotoscoping thing where you're just kind of animating over them or really using their faces as kind of touch points. But like hey you know if if this guy is is great at doing uh voice work throw him a bone but i know that you know joe joe schmo is not going to get people in the seats like you know oh and featuring the voice of brad pitt or something right which also brings up the whole using the same voice you have an amazing voice actor like cam clark who most people would know as leonardo from the tmnt cartoon the or the 80s version and he has that very distinct leonardo voice and then you see like akira the american dub and canada that's always pronounced in that i know it's supposed to be canada for all you purists but they pronounce it canada in the in that version of the film is leonardo and i'm sorry but that just throws me off the whole time the whole time i'm watching that movie i just wonder where donatello is <laughs> well it used to it used to confuse me when uh <laughs> when Yoda spoke with Grover's voice. It's like, what? <laughs> this is just Grover speaking backwards. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I can see that. Yeah, because it's like you have these guys that just have these amazing ranges, yet for whatever reason, 
they went with the Leonardo voice on that. I don't understand that for Akira. But Akira was the one, that's the one Japanese one I want to bring up, that just, that broke records in America. People make fun of Akira today for all its massive plot holes and things like that. But those of you that are too young, you got to remember when that came out in 86, that thing was beating live action movies across the board. You guys remember that? I remember the impact that it had. Unfortunately, I never went to see it, and I still haven't. Uh, I guess I'm kind of waiting for like a revival screening or something, because I hear that seeing it on television is just not anything like seeing it at a theater. See, I never saw that one at a theater. I, that one I, I saw on video. That was a big bootleg one, but I just remember that being huge. Oh, no, I remember them selling the video through commercials. They're like, now you can own Akira. Call 1-800-whatever and order it. And I did order it. I'm waiting for the live-action version, you know? Come you know on. what? I'm hanging up on your ass after that. <laughs> I want Keanu, you know, which is pronounced Keanu. And, you know, and by the way, the other one, it's actually pronounced Canada. So, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but see, then when they when they did the DVD, they they did a new dub, which they said was more accurate to the original dialogue. Now, maybe I am just too indoctrinated to the to the Leonardo voice and the voices that I grew up watching. That new dub, which, like I said, is supposed to be more accurate. It just sounds wrong to me. It just none of these characters sound like the way the characters have sounded to me for 20 goddamn years. Now I'm supposed to accept another voice with that same animation? No, that just does not work for me. That new so dub is horrendous to me. You hate the Leonardo voice, but now you miss the Leonardo voice. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. weird to me, but at the same time, I cannot accept this random, nameless Japanese actor that does the voice in, in that one. And that even goes to, to bring up one other anime film. Do you guys remember when Mononoke Heimi was brought over to America as Princess Mononoke in the early 2000s? Oh, yeah. Well, I remember when it was brought over, had its theatrical release and everything. And, and these are all good actors, but if you've ever seen Mononoke Heimi... Billy Bob Thornton is not right for the role he's given. Gillian Anderson is not right for the role she's given. These these actors just are not right, and they were clearly hired for their names rather than their vocal abilities. Because right, to me, exactly. it's just it's just distracting to hear Scully talking as this wise old wolf character. It's like <laughs> no, the, the Scully talking like that is just wrong. Miyazaki. Miyazaki, yes. Yeah, yes. like any Miyazaki one has the American dubs done by celebrities who clearly don't fit the roles. I mean, even Ponyo had that problem recently. Well, no, since we're talking animation, would you guys say a, a movie like Tron, would you call that more live action or more animated? Well, speaking of the original Tron, I know. That's the only sure. one that exists for me, Mike. Okay, good, good. Because. With that, I mean, I think they ended up trying to do computer animation through that, but then with most of it, they kind of hand-painted cells, hand-painted frames of, um, you know, the, the clothing and everything. So I would say that that is kind of a – it kind of borders with experimental animation. But, yeah, I would say – I would consider that an animated film. 
Do you want to know what the biggest tragedy about that film being animated like that was? They were not eligible for the Best Special Effects Oscar because the Oscar committee said using a computer to make the effect is cheating. Right. Man, how times have changed in that regard, huh? <laughs> I think Tron deserves a retroactive Oscar for that, goddammit. I always yeah. consider Tron not animated, not feature, more of like a, a hybrid, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That was going to be the next one I brought up. What do you guys consider Roger Rabbit? Because and I haven't seen it in quite a few years, but I'm thinking that's about a 50-50 movie. I'd say at least 50% of that is animated and 50% is live action, unless yeah. I'm misremembering it. So would you call that an animated feature or a partially animated feature? Partial. Yeah. yeah. All right, then using that same ideology like we just brought up with Tron and Roger Rabbit, Attack of the Clones. That's definitely an animated feature then, isn't it? Well, yeah, I'd rather just not think about that movie. I'd rather not think of Roger Rabbit. I wasn't even a big fan of that one. I actually, my favorite part was just seeing Donald Duck get told off by Daffy Duck. That that yeah. being, being a Daffy Duck fan, that just always stuck with me. The difference, though, is with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the animation in that is supposed to be animation. It's supposed to be a cartoon, that you believe it's a cartoon, versus... Attack of the Clones, where the CGI is supposed to look like something real, not cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about what I consider a tremendously underrated half-and-half half movie, Cool World? Oh, that's funny. I almost made a joke about Cool World. I liked Cool World. I, I mean, I don't know how either you guys stand, but I thought it was better than it probably should have been. I think I remember seeing parts of that that played at the movie theater where I was working, but... Um, yeah, I don't, I, I never actually saw the full thing. There we go with another Brad Pitt reference. I love it. <laughs> I saw it on video and was not too interested in it, even when I was watching it. That movie also had a very troubled production. Bakshi's original script was a lot darker than, than what it ended up being. First of all, the studio would not let him do his half animated, half live action person. Because he wanted Hollywood and the human character to have sex and have a baby that would literally be half line animation and half real actor. And the studio was like, no, way too dark, way too dark. Hmm. And, and then when Kim Basinger came on board as Hollywood, it just she she kept lightening it up and wanted to make it more funny than he wanted to make it kind of a satire on how the real world is actually more cartoonish than the cartoon world. And she, coming off Batman at that point, had a lot of power in Hollywood, and she kind of started calling the shots on that film. So That's when she could buy a town. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so to be fair to Ralph Bakshi, that's not so much his failure as he just kind of lost control of the film, if that makes any sense. You know, and I blame Bakshi. He's made some bad movies. So I'm not some Bakshi fanboy, but that one, I can see what he was going for with Cool World. It just, he never achieved it. Because I can't think of a whole lot of other ones, like Evil Tunes, the Fred Olin Ray one. Oh, oh, Doc, that's terrible. 
<laughs> Don't hold back, Alex. What do you think of Evil Tunes? Well, it's Fred Olin Ray. Need I say more? But I'm just saying that it's supposed to be an evil serial killer cartoon in a sorority house. There's maybe, what, ten minutes of animation in that total? Otherwise, it's just a bad slasher flick. But, I mean, that that was touted as... I can't remember how the trailer puts it. The the most groundbreaking animation live action hybrid since Roger Rabbit. They were just saying that to get people to buy tickets. Are you telling me trailers lie? <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Trailers do not lie to get you into the theater. I was a little miffed even when it came to Roger Rabbit when they were talking about just like how groundbreaking that was, the mixture of animation and live action. It's like uh, didn't you guys ever see that movie where uh, Gene Kelly dances with uh, Jerry from Tom and Jerry? It's like maybe a couple decades before, you know, come on. Well, and then, okay, you just reminded me of something else that we need to talk about. Animated movies that either follow a an old cartoon or a comic book or something and just rape the shit out of it. I'm looking at you, Tom and Jerry, the movie. Oh God! <laughs> that that whole movie was like watching two old friends die and just waste away before your eyes, and then get dug up one last time to get kicked in the nuts. <laughs> you know, kind of along those lines, though it's not uh, a theatrical release. The um, Scooby Doo movies that they have been putting out for the last, gosh, I don't know, five or eight years or so have just been wonderful. They the f- really the first know what they're two, doing. Zombie Island and Witch's Ghost, I mm-hmm. loved both of those. Well, I, even... I, well, there because, was the one, uh, the cyber criminal or something, I can't remember what it was, but there was like a, a beam of electricity that they were fighting, and it was great. They actually had to go inside of a video game, and they joined up with themselves, and they're like critiquing their fashions from the 60s. It was great. <laughs> The, the thing I liked about Zombie Island, besides the fact that it was pretty damn dark, and plot spoiler, the zombies are the good guys in this movie, which actually was a refreshing plot spoiler when it happened, mm-hmm. but is the fact that they play off the whole, oh, it's always a guy in a mask and whatnot, because right. like Fred's like, oh, you know, this is how they would have done this, and this is how they etched the words in the wall, and then he's like, and now I pull the mask off, and it pulls the skin off of the zombie's face, and he's like, oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but my only problem with that is, you just look at that and you go, you go the scene with uh, Scooby and Shaggy as TSA inspectors, you go, oh, this is so pre-9-11. Oh, yeah. This is so pre-9-11 <laughs> if Shaggy and Scooby are TSA agents. Well, after that big uh, drug ring that they just busted, maybe not so far from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the Scooby-Doo animated ones, they've, and those are ones that really do meet that delicate, delicate balance of they're still kid-friendly, but they are definitely full of jokes for mom and dad as well that have yeah. to sit through these usually end up either being too kid-friendly or too adult. Speaking of the Iron Giant, the Iron Giant is phenomenal. That's that's one of the best animated movies of at least the last 20 years. And it it flopped at the box office. I don't get that. 
Well, unfortunately, Vin Diesel strikes again. No, I'm just kidding. I loved his, his voice work in that. I thought it was terrific. And speaking of, you know, he wasn't necessarily a name actor at the time. Uh, but I don't even recall doing... him being promoted as being in the film. No. No, because yeah. he wasn't. I think it was pre-pitch black. I mean, he was just a nobody, but he did a great job in that. Yeah, I didn't even know it was Vin Diesel until years after the fact I saw his name listed. Well, and then there's also, I mean, I hate Friends. I hate that show. And Jennifer Aniston is great as Hogarth's mom. You know, she doesn't sound like Jennifer Aniston at all. And, and then that movie, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys to kind of reveal your soft side here. Who did not cry a little bit when making the decision and he, and I'm Superman as he <laughs> sacrifices himself? Who didn't tear up a little bit, guys? Come on. I did. <laughs> I have no problem admitting that. So it's like, yeah, something like The Iron Giant. That's a movie. I, I'd actually really like a sequel that. Okay, do you guys remember what Chinatown was supposed to originally do? with having each successive sequel be a decade after, I'd like to see an Iron Giant series of sequels that each tackle a different decade. That was the 50s. Now we see the Iron Giant come back and visit Hogarth in the 60s. And then the third movie come back in the 70s. I think that would be a really fun way to handle that franchise, if they'd ever want to restart it. Yeah, I kind of was hoping that they'd do the same thing with LA Confidential and just keep bringing back those, you know, uh, Bud and... And Exley, I thought that would be pretty nice. You know, have them in the '70s fighting crime with the big, you know, white man froze kind of thing. But, but yeah, I can totally see that with uh, the Iron Giant. That would be cool. Another great one. I don't know if you guys have seen, and I even like the sequel, which I know not a lot of people do like it. But the um, the oh, the Hoodwinked uh, series, the one that's kind of a retelling of um, the Little Red Riding Hood stuff. I don't recall out. that one. I don't know oh, familiar with that. Came out. Oh, you got to see those. The first one is basically Rashomon, where they're retelling the, the whole story from each character's point of view. And the big bad wolf's voice is Patrick Warburton, so you know I'm all over that. <laughs> and Glenn Close did the voice of the grandmother, and she did a terrific job. I had no idea that it was her. And I want to say... Oh, Anne Hathaway? No. I can't remember who did the voice. It was two different girls doing the voices from one movie to the next one. And the sequel was supposed to come out not too long afterwards. And then it ended up being delayed for a long time and then just kind of snuck out to theaters. But yeah, I had no desire to see this movie. Ended up renting it and um, once I found out Warburton was doing a voice. And it was great. It was absolutely terrific. They made all these different movie references throughout it. And it was just so much fun and very adult, even though it was a kid's movie. And it just was like, okay, this is good stuff. Well, one that is one of my favorites, and I cracked the, I mean, it's still not on DVD, so I crack out my Laserdisc or my VHS every Halloween, is the phenomenal Halloween tree. I don't know that one. It was made by, uh, it was made for direct to video by Turner Home Entertainment in. Oh, I want to say like 95, 96, somewhere around there. It's based on the Ray Bradbury story, and Bradbury narrates the movie as well. He's extremely happy with how it turned out. And it's a very fun, very dark adventure through different cultures' histories of Halloween with 
Leonard Nimoy voicing Mr. Moundshroud as a, a dying boy in a small Midwestern town steals his own soul pumpkin back from Moundshroud and is running through time while his friends and Moundshroud have to chase him through the different Halloweens of different cultures. And it's just beautifully animated. It's not made for kids, but it's not like dirty adult, but it's mature and it feels like Halloween from frame one to the end of the damn credits. Very cool. You you have to check out the Halloween tree, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a rights issue or what, it is not out on DVD, so you can only find VHSs or Laserdisc. The Laserdisc has a commentary track by Ray Bradbury, too, so that is excessively awesome. Have you guys ever been really amped for, like, even a direct-to-video animated movie that just, it just kicked you in the teeth at how bad it was? Wacko's Wish? No, the direct video ones that have struck me with how bad they are are the um they're basically mockbusters of kids movies cuz my daughter still doesn't know better yet. Oh yeah, you so, were telling me about that she rented one of those and was all pissed off. Yeah, she rented this bad knockoff Puss in Boots. She rented Chop Kick Panda. <laughs> was that from oh, the asylum? <laughs> no, it's <laughs> From some other group. I've had to sit through so many of those, but only half because then my daughter realizes this isn't what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, on that same note, you've also got, remember the Titanic animated movie with the the villains teaming up with sharks mentally and you have the rapping dogs. Oh, yes, there's that. <laughs> you know, you have that just batshit insanity that you go, who was this made for? You're clearly trying to cash in on Titanic's popularity. No one who saw Titanic is going to want to watch this thing. So what do you guys feel about these direct-to-videos? Let's leave the Disney ones out of it because none of those direct-to-video sequels are ever any good. But but the direct-to-video sequels to TV shows or whatnot outside of the Scooby-Doo's, which we've already pointed out, are pretty damn good, actually. Beyond the Scooby-Doo and the... Um... The Disney sequels. I can't think of any offhand. Because, like, Turner Home Entertainment had a lot of those back in the 90s. Back when, when they were selling the, the videotapes, like, mad. Right I right remember, before DVD existed, Turner Home Entertainment was putting out one of these things every damn week, it seemed. I remember there was one with, it was like, Daffy Duck Fantasy Island thing. Oh, Daffy gosh. Duck's Fantastic Island. I love that. Yes. 1983. That was actually not direct-to-video. That was a CBS original. Well, and I yeah, say I original in the hate. fact that, that they used a lot of old cartoons, but that oh, actually yeah. had more original framing stuff in it than most of their their thrown-together Looney Tunes movies did. Yeah, I used to hate how they would chop up those cartoons and just try to string them all together. Like, And then there was that time where we were trapped in a pirate ship. Remember that, Sam? Oh, yeah, rabbit. You know, and they would just... Actually, da- Daffy Duck's, like, oh. Daffy Duck's just... Quackbusters is actually a pretty decent one of those. They use the clips quite well. The only thing that's jarring is the different voices that are used from the older clips to the newer stuff. Otherwise, Quackbusters actually links the stories kind of well because Daffy is trying to be a, a ghost removal agency. So that leads him into all the, you know, uh, bugs fighting the vampire where it's, you know, Hocus Pocus and Abracadabra. And stuff like that. And, and it actually leads 
very well into all these different old cartoons. So that one was actually done well. And then, Mike, you being a cinephile, Alex, you being a cinephile, do you guys remember the Bugs Bunny movie that Orson Welles starred in on camera? Vaguely. I remember watching it, but... This is your life, Bugs Bunny. It was uh, was a history of Bugs Bunny. Orson Welles was the on-camera narrator for a Bugs Bunny film. I remember the concept. I just don't remember Welles being in it. Yeah, that that was like late seventies, so he was wasn't that fat yet. He wasn't Paul Masson fat yet, but he was still. I mean, he's Orson Welles. What cinephile doesn't want to see Orson Welles talking to Bugs Bunny? Right. Yeah, and there was some there were some good mixes of animation and live action in those cartoons as well. I mean, I mean, even thinking of like some of the really old Porky Pig, you know, him quitting his job. And then coming back and asking for it back again from some of the guys that ran the Warner Brothers studios, I thought that was great. I remember, I rem- I had forgotten about that until you just brought that up, but I remember that one. Now, was that a black and white or was that a color? Yeah, it was black and white because at least that's how I remember it in my head. And if you remember it that same way too, then I, yeah. I imagine we're probably right. Yeah, I'm remembering that one as a black and white. Yeah, I I remember them doing kind of a "This Is Your Life." for Bugs, but I don't remember Wells. I mean, was this... God, you know what movie I, I've been... keep thinking that I want to track down, just speaking of Orson Wells, that I haven't, though I need to, was The Man Who Saw Tomorrow, where he was doing the voiceover for the Nostradamus. For Nostradamus, story. yeah, I remember. Oh, I so saw that good. on PBS back in the early 90s was the last time I saw that. And man shall become a man-eater. <laughs> <laughs> You want to see a really good Orson Welles narration? The Last Days on Planet Earth. Oh, nice. It's it's a it's a mid to late 70s religious kook documentary about how the 1980s will bring about the end of the world as prophesied in the Bible. And Orson Welles admits right basically on camera, I don't necessarily believe all this, but the check cleared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say it like that, but you can tell that this is a check movie. This is a movie oh, yeah. used to fund another movie. They even say that a little bit in the, some of the extras. They're like, Wells was totally professional, even though you could tell he really didn't want to be there. <laughs> but you, but he, you know, did not half-ass it at all. No, he never really did. You know, even in some of his worst, worst films. Witchery. He was always no, there. The Witching. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's the evil witch toy master of this small town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that. That's actually not a bad flick unless you see the the stupid TNA version they made in the 80s where they they added they shot a whole bunch of new footage with like a then unknown Brink Stevens and they inserted it into the 70s footage and it does not match at all. Other than CG taking over, what do you guys see as the trend of how animation has changed cuz to me it's gained a lot more respect yet somehow lost respect when it doesn't work. Planet 51? <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet, but I hear it was just absolutely horrible. Uh, yeah, be, be glad you haven't seen it. <laughs> but, but like, what do you guys see as... Because movie, animated movies now seem to have a bigger acceptance than they did in the 80s or even the 90s as art, rather than, ah, oh, that's kid stuff. Well, a lot of them do tell a lot more mature themes 
and they do it well. Like, look at um, Finding Nemo or Wally from Pixar. Or Up. Like the first 15 minutes of Up. Oh, I haven't seen I, that because I've been told I'd cry. Oh, my God. I never want to see that movie again because it was just, <laughs> oh, it just rips your heart out of your chest. My God. But, I don't understand. I mean... I would have loved to have seen the theater after that. It must have been like an atom bomb went off in there because it was just, just watching it at home alone or well with my wife. I was just like, oh my god, you know, like here it comes again. Here's another montage set to music. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm dead. <laughs> All right. So before before we get out of here, where can we find Mike White? Well, actually, let me rephrase that. Where can we find Alex Jowski since his show is on right before Mike's White Mike White's show on Thursday nights? Uh, we'll, w- we'll, we'll, we will go in chronological order here. <laughs> www.geekjuicemedia.com. And what's the show you host? Geek Juice Radio, which on... is followed on Thursday nights on Jackalope Radio by the Projection Booth podcast with with Mike White and Rob St. Mary. And occasionally myself and Chris Gore. And all kinds of other folks, yeah. We have a really good show coming up pretty soon here with Dave Coleman, the author of the Bigfoot filmography, talking all about different Sasquatch and Yeti and abominable snowman films. Speaking of uh, Bugs Bunny, I always think of that big abominable snowman who's going to love him and squeeze him and hug him and (laughs) kiss him. (laughs) And that's at, uh, that's also on our friend Jackalope Radio on, uh, I think it's what? Help me out here. Thursdays at 7 Eastern Time or yes. Central? Okay. 7 Eastern. I get so screwed up by these time zones. Yeah, because you're an hour ahead of me. I'm an hour behind you. Yeah, so, so the three of us, it's almost midnight for me. And it's way past midnight for Mike, and it's not quite 11 o'clock for Alex. So it's just kind of, we have this weird time warp going on right now. So on that note, I'm going to say you can find me at 1201beyond.com, 1201beyond at gmail.com, my weekly column, Sanity is Razor Thin, over at Geek Juice Media with Alex, and my monthly column, Shadows of Pop Culture, if you're in the Green Bay area, in Scene Magazine. So I'm going to say good night, Alex. Good night. Michael? Good night. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Yeah, so in other words, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it, if you make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see a snow-covered field and say every July, peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. Yeah, we are. We're talking about them growing, and she's picked them. Yeah. On what? In July. I don't understand you, then. When must... What must be over for July? Um, When we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas, when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. You are? Yes. Well, that's about where I say in July. Can you emphasize a bit in? In July. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Um, 
There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with in and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. That's just idiotic if you'll forgive me by saying so. That's just stupid. In July. I'd love to know how you emphasize in and in July. Impossible. Meaningless. I think all they were thinking about was that they didn't want to... He isn't thinking. Well, sir, can we just do one last... Yeah. One? It was my fault. I, should, I said in July. If you can leave every July... You didn't say it. He said it. Your friend. Every July? No, you don't really mean every July. But that's a that's bad copy. It's in July. Of course it's every July. There's too much directing around here. Norway. Fish fingers in Nor- Findus, Norway. We know a certain fjord in Norway, near where the cod gather in great shoals. There, Janste Stangeland. Fraction more on the on that shoals thing, because you roll it around very nicely. Yeah, roll it around, and I have no more time. You don't know what I'm up against, because it's full of of, of things that are only correct because they're grammatical, but they're tough on the ear. You see, this is a very wearying one. It's unpleasant to read, unrewarding. Because Findus freeze the cod at sea and then add a crumb crisp, crumb crisp coating. Ah, that's tough, crumb crisp coating. I think no, because of the way it's written, you need to break it up because it's not it's not as conversationally written. What? Take crumb Take out. Take crumb out. Good. Here under protest is beef burgers. We know a little place in the American Far West where Charlie Briggs chops up the finest prairie-fed beef and tastes... This is a lot of You know that. You want one more? More on what beef? You you missed the first beef, actually, completely. What do you mean, missed it? You're emphasizing prairie-fed. But you can't emphasize beef. That's like he's wanting me to emphasize in before July. Come on, fellas, you're losing your heads. I wouldn't direct any living actor like this in Shakespeare. Well, you do this. It's impossible. Orson, you did six last year, and by far and away the best, and I know the the reason. The right reading for this is the one I'm giving it. At the moment. I spent 20 times more for you people than any other commercial I've ever made. You are such pests. Now, what is it you want in your depths of your ignorance? What is it you want? Whatever it is you want, I can't deliver because I just don't see it. That was absolutely fine. It really was. You, you can't. It isn't worth it. No money is worth it.